0: I'm going. I sure know where I've been. Let's, let's talk about where we've been. Uh, we didn't meet last week, last Sunday. <clears throat> the last Sunday was Palm Sunday. And we, uh, I, you know, I, it's interesting. I'm trying to figure out how that has affected my preparation for today. Because Resurrection Sunday is a big deal. And again, it's not just because we've got extra services and we have breakfast and all that stuff. It's just the fact that we are commemorating the greatest event in human history. And that's not an overstatement, that's not exaggeration. <clears throat> For Jesus Christ to come out of the grave to conquer death and to give us an everlasting hope is literally literally the greatest event in human history. So, some of you all know, some of you don't. We actually met here Friday night for our tenebrae service, which was a commemora- commemoration. i about to say commemorization. Commemoration of Good Friday and the death of Christ. And let me be honest, okay? Let me shoot you from the hip and the heart here. I just thought that would be more powerful. I thought I would be more affected by it. And I wasn't. It wasn't bad. It was good. I thought it turned out well. I thought everything went well. It was good. We we hope to continue to do that. Started a new tradition, hopefully Friday. And I'm like, well, it's good. And we left and we went home. Yesterday we spent time with my family. This morning we had the sunrise service, and again I was kind of amped for it. It was good. Yeah, not bad. I'm not saying it was bad, and I'm being honest. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm kind of like, well, that was, that was good. I was looking forward to breakfast. It was good. Not bad, but you know, I was kind of looking forward to it, and it was good. And now here we are. I got to lead worship again. Kind of excited about that. Me, myself, I'm like, well, that was all right. And now here we are. And everybody's looking at me. And I'm going, eh. And I I am just being honest. And through this whole process, I keep waiting for that bolt of lightning. You know what I'm saying? I keep waiting for that big emotional jolt. Actually, what's really happening is I'm getting sleepy, you know. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's true. And we come to this message. And if you're, if you're a preacher and you preach on a consistent basis, man, this is the Super Bowl. This is it. You know, the crowds are amped and, well, you know, some of you are. This is the day, you know, Christmas and Easter, right? That's when people come to church, right? So you're really expected to perform today. Sorry. Not going to do it. Don't feel the need to. What I want to talk about this morning is what we've talked about since Friday. I want to talk to you about hope. And what we saw Friday night was a picture of a complete loss of hope on friday when we commemorated the death of jesus and we talked about it some here this morning in the sunrise service i can't imagine the hopelessness that his followers felt 3 p.m. friday when they pulled his dead body off the cross which had to look disgusting cuz he had been punished Crushed as Don read this morning. And I can't imagine the emptiness, the desolation, sadness, the hopelessness. They had just lost the one person who they had put all their hope in, and he was dead. And we saw this morning again that they they didn't understand the Scriptures. They didn't understand the statements of Jesus that He had to rise again from the dead. So they were hopeless. They hunkered down Friday night, Saturday, up to Sunday evening. They're locked in a room for fear of the Jews. A complete loss of hope. We even saw Mary standing at the tomb this morning in the presence of Jesus not knowing it was Him. A complete loss of hope, even in the presence of the greatest miracle of all time. She was a witness to it and she didn't even know it yet. Then she goes and tells the disciples and it doesn't seem like it got them too excited because Sunday evening they're locked in a room together. So we saw... Jesus come to them and we saw the rebirth of hope. Mary heard Him call her name and she said, Rabboni. And He said, go tell my brothers. I send to my father and their father and to my God and their God. And she ran and she told them. And they're still locked in the room a little later when He pops up in their midst. Doors locked, scared to death. And Jesus shows up. And it says they were glad when they saw Jesus. So their hope was reborn. Mary and these disciples, whoever was in that room, they saw Him. They touched Him. They talked to Him. Jesus is alive and we saw Him. But what they found out was He comes and He goes as He pleases. He did anyway, but he was, when He was walking the earth, He was walking according to a foreordained plan. Now the rules have changed. Doors don't stop Him. Locks don't stop Him. What you thought should happen doesn't stop Him. He pops up when He wants to. So we know at least Mary and the disciples, their hope had been reborn. But let me ask you this question. I asked you this this morning and I want to ask you in a different way. Anybody seen Jesus recently? Anybody heard Him call your name audibly recently? What do you do when Jesus hasn't spoken your name or stepped into your locked room? What do you do when it seems like everybody's got hope but you? And you hear all these great Christian testimonies of people overcoming and all this great stuff and God working miracles and healing sick people and all this stuff and you're going... I, I haven't experienced that. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you don't feel this comfort. What do you do when it's down to just you and you don't have your hope? What if your situation hasn't changed Or everyone else seems to be getting blessed while you're stuck in disbelief and maybe even defiance. Where's my miracle? Why haven't things changed for me? Anybody ever feel that way? I have. There's a guy named Thomas that God uses to speak to this very thing in our lives. Friday night we read John 18 and John 19. This morning we read John 20. We're going to finish John 20 this morning as we complete this triumvirate of meetings between Tenebrae, Sunrise, and Resurrection Sunday. We're going to focus on John 20, 24 through 29 for this morning's message. And I want you to ask this question. Where's my hope? If you would stand as we read this scripture together six verses and we do believe these are the very words of God now thomas one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the lord but And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. God, I again, this morning, this great morning, this blessed, holy morning. Call out to you, almighty God. And ask you to speak hope. Through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. For each individual in this place. God, if there be there, those here who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, convict, draw and save people through the power of the gospel. And we believe that gospel is your power, God, unto salvation for everyone who believes. And for those of us who do know you, God, call our name. Speak peace and hope into our lives. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Mm. So let's start back here in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now what do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Now how would you like that to be your epitaph? How would you like that to be on on the tombstone of history? This was the guy who doubted. Now forget the fact that back in John 11 when Jesus was getting ready to go back to Bethany to raise Lazarus, all the rest of the disciples were like, Hey, Jesus, they're going to kill you. They're trying to kill you. Are you sure you want to go back there? And it was this Thomas that stood up at that time and said, Let's go back and die with him. Nobody writes that on his tombstone, though, do they? It's doubting Thomas. For good reason. This is the last memory we have of Thomas. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And let me just start this verse by asking you this question. Would you have believed it? Do you believe it? Now again, for those who haven't been with us this morning for the sunrise service, we saw some really crazy stuff in the verses that preceded this passage in John 20. Of course, the guy that was dead came back to life. That doesn't happen every day. Well, maybe no. I don't guess it is. His tomb was deoccupied. We saw angels, fear, sadness, intrigue. A lot of people running. There was a lot of running that morning. Maybe we should have got up and ran this morning. Maybe that's we need need to have a sunrise five k. That's (laughs) right. Just to commemorate, right? And we see if dead people can come back to life. That's what we'll see. (laughs) We saw all kinds of crazy stuff in John 20. People believing, not believing, mistaken identity, all this stuff. And it all culminated with Jesus, who had been dead since Friday, showing up in a locked room occupied by His disciples on Sunday evening. But what we see here is that one of His disciples, one of Jesus' disciples was missing when this crazy thing happened. Now we see from other accounts in the Gospels that other people saw him as well. We talked last year at sunrise service about the road to Emmaus. There were a couple of disciples who walked with him, talked with him, didn't know it was him until they invited him in to eat and he blessed the bread and he disappeared like, oh, that was Jesus. So he's coming and going and he's showing himself in different times, different places, different people, but here we are eight days later. And Jesus, Jesus, I mean, Thomas wasn't there on Sunday. He didn't see it. I don't know where he was, what he was doing, but we know he wasn't in the locked room when Jesus showed up. It says he was not with them when Jesus came. Now imagine if you can that conversation. Thomas comes back in, maybe he's getting the groceries. I don't know. Been to Walmart, he's frazzled, he's got his pajama pants on. I've had a lot of coffee this morning, y'all. <laughs> so he walks in with the bags and they're like, Hey, Thomas! Jesus was here. He's like, I know. Oh, no, 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 Thomas. No, no, that's not what we mean. We mean He was here. He was here with us. We saw Him. We touched Him. Thomas like, you should, what now? Thomas has gone somewhere doing something or nothing. I don't know what He's doing. And He comes back to be with them and they say, Thomas, Jesus showed up and we saw Him. I'm going to go to verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he's like, dynamite, fantastic. That's great, guys. That, That gets me excited. Wish I'd have been here. No. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Hey, Thomas, you'll never guess who stopped by Sunday evening. It okay, probably didn't sound or look like that. They probably just put it out there telling him like the verse says, We have seen the Lord. And Thomas is thinking, I've seen Him too. The last time I saw Him, He was hanging on a cross, beaten and bloodied by the Romans. And I saw Joseph take Him down and carry Him to a tomb. I saw Him too. i like, no. No, Thomas, He, he came... Into the room where we were, he's like, um, "I don't, I don't think I can believe that because I saw him dead, I saw him crucified, and I saw him buried. Or maybe Thomas didn't see all that because Jesus told him." the night that he was with them in the upper room, he's like, all of you all are going to abandon me tonight. Peter's like, pshaw. Thomas might, but I ain't going to. He didn't say that, but he's like, if everybody leaves you, Lord, I never will. And he's like, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. So maybe Thomas didn't see him crucified. It's possible. possible he wasn't there at the cross. possible he was out hiding somewhere from the Romans before that. He might have bolted... Really quick, that night Jesus was arrested. So maybe he didn't see him dead. Maybe he didn't see him dying. But he had surely heard of and known of the death of his teacher and Lord. He knew that. He knew he was dead whether he saw it or not, right? He knew he was dead. And now for Thomas to come back and be with his friends and them to tell him that they had seen this dead man alive now? Well, that would be hard for him to believe. Mary told the disciples that she had seen Jesus in the garden. And again, we don't have good solid proof that they believed her on the road to Emmaus. Those disciples said, Well, you know, some people said they've seen some things, but you know how people are. So the disciples had ended up locked in a room fearing Jewish reprisal for their following of this dead man. So Thomas probably wouldn't be unique in unique company for not believing. So the text says, but he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So he didn't just say, come on guys, that's a little tough to believe. Can you reassure me? No, he flat out says, there will be no believing on my end unless I see him. Actually, no, not just see him. Because your eyes can deceive you. I'm I'm going to have to touch him. I'm going to have to place my finger into the mark of the nails. And I'm going to have to place my hand in that big hole in his side that that spear left. And if I don't do that, I will never believe. It's a way of saying... What you're saying, guys, is impossible, and I'm not going to believe it unless something impossible happens in my life. Which just isn't likely. I'm going to need more proof than 10 or 11 eyewitnesses. Now, do you think that would condemn a man in court if there were 10 or 11 eyewitnesses to what he did? One eyewitness is pretty good testimony. Two? Eleven? At least eleven? Eleven people had reported seeing Jesus alive. I guess by this point it's more at thirteen. Fourteen? Maybe fifteen people who said, Yeah, we saw him, he was alive. It's gonna take more than fifteen eyewitnesses for me to believe. Be careful. I mean, you could all be wrong. You could all just be pulling my leg. I mean Easter's April Fool's Day, right? So This could just be a cruel April Fool's joke. Like, you know, cake pops or something. (laughs) You guys could just be nuts. You could be grieving and delirious. And I'll never believe a bunch of crazy, grieving fishermen, revolutionaries, tax collectors, and other rabble. I'll never believe it. I'll never believe it. Your experience, your good fortune, your miracle, just don't cut it for me. Careful what you wish for, Tom. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Well, all right then. It's a familiar trick now for Jesus to just pop up. It's familiar to these other ten disciples, but now Thomas is there. Eight days later, on a Monday, of all things, right? Eight days after Resurrection Sunday would put us on a Monday. A Monday. So they're all inside again, including Thomas with the doors locked. Eight days later, the doors are still locked. And Jesus just shows up in their midst, unannounced and uninvited, and pronounces peace on them. Peace be with you. Again... we, we, I don't get it. I don't get it. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What do you see? What do you hear? I see what this says and I hear the words, but what about. Now, okay. Anybody ever have your kids walk in on you in the bathroom? Yeah, or somebody? You know, oh, <laughs> they locked the door. What if you did lock the door and they walked in? How are you going to feel then? The heck? We read this, and it's just, you know, we're like, oh, that's wild. No. Eight days later, Jesus pops into a locked room again, and this time Thomas is there and he says, Peace be with you. But that's not all that he says. He speaks directly to Thomas. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now see, this is a miracle in and of itself, right? Jesus wasn't there when Thomas said that he wouldn't believe unless he touched the scars and put his hand in his side, right? Or was he? I don't know. Was he invisible? Was he a fly on the wall? I don't know what was going on. But we don't have it recorded in Scripture that he was there when Thomas said that. So this is miraculous. It's almost like this Jesus is sovereign or something. Jesus wasn't there, but Jesus peers directly into the heart and soul of Thomas and pins him down, telling him to do what he has to do. Okay, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand and place it in my side. If that's what you need, so be it. Here I am. Here are the scars. Here is the side that you asked for. Why? Why does Jesus want Thomas to do this? So Thomas would do what? So that Thomas would do that which was most important. Do not disbelieve. But believe. And this is the heart of the matter. All the despair, all the hope, and the loss of it, and the gain of it, and the loss of it, and the gain of it, and the loss of it. The death, the resurrection, the reports, the drama of the past two weeks. Hosanna, crucify him. He's dead. He's alive. He's invisible. He's visible. All of this was so that people would believe. But believe what? What are they supposed to believe? What are they not supposed to disbelieve? Yeah. 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God everything over the past two weeks of the life of Jesus, everything over the 33 and a half years of Jesus' life, everything over these last three and a half years that the disciples have been with Him walking along the road, all of it, all of it, was so that they would believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And that He came for the express purpose of living a perfect life, dying a death on their behalf, and rising again to show God's stamp of approval upon His life and ministry so that they would believe that God came down to save them. That was the point of all of it. And in this moment, Thomas in. doubting, disbelieve anymore. Doubting Thomas isn't doubting anymore. And he makes the good confession. You are my Lord. You are my God. We are not to disbelieve. Any of us but we are to believe the truth of the gospel, that God became a man, that God in the form of Jesus lived a perfect life, that God crucified His Son, that Jesus was dead, that He was buried, and that He rose again and ever lives to make intercession for us now. That's the point. And Thomas got it. In that moment... When his faith became sight, he got it. Everybody else had believed. Everybody else had seen. Thomas hadn't seen yet. Now he sees and now he believes. And he makes the good confession, My Lord and my God. Good for you, Thomas. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen And yet, have believed. Sight's one thing. It was one thing for Thomas that everybody else had seen Jesus. And that sight is what solidified his faith. And Jesus said, Good job, Thomas. That's good. You made a good confession. You've believed. And you've believed because you have seen. And you're blessed. But then he also says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas got his miracle. And it resulted, I would guess, in the salvation of his soul. (coughs) And he was blessed. But Jesus says there's people who won't see. Jesus says there are people who will not experience the same miracle that Thomas and the disciples and Mary and all these other people, 500 people saw when they saw Jesus alive. And He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Sight is one thing. Faith is something altogether different. And here's the thing. It's altogether better. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's where we'll leave our narrative today. It's in the passage. Good for Thomas, right? What about me? Where's my miracle? Where's my hope? Where's my deliverance? Where's my better diagnosis? Jesus speaks to us through this passage. And through this passage, he comes to give us hope. And he gives us hope in three places. And this is where we'll finish in these three application points and their W's. Three W's. Jesus comes to give us hope when we are willing, when we're wrong, and when we're weak. Jesus comes to give us hope who haven't seen the miracle, who haven't had the miraculous deliverance. Jesus comes to give us hope when we are willing. Well, that that makes sense, right? Yep. When we have faith. He says that we're blessed when we have not seen. Well, is that not the very definition of faith? We walk by faith, not by sight. And Jesus says here we're blessed because of that. Our faith in an unseen Jesus grants us blessing. Blessing in the sight of God. And not just blessing in the sight of God, it grants us blessing in our lives. So our faith, our willingness to believe what we have not seen with our own eyes gives us hope. So Jesus gives us hope when we don't see. But we're willing to believe without seeing. That's good news. Right? Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please Him, that being God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So this is saying exactly what Jesus said here. Do you believe that I am? Do you believe that I exist even without seeing me? And in believing, do you believe that I reward those who seek me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So if you're willing, if you're willing to exercise faith without sight, you're blessed. So Jesus blesses and brings hope to those who are willing. And we're like, okay, fine, that sounds good and right. But What about me? Why am I still hopeless? I think I believe. I've believed and asked God to help my unbelief. And I know that it's true that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and populated them and did everything and all things are in subjection to Him. I believe that, but I still don't have the hope that I need to make it through this valley, through this trial, through this struggle, through this diagnosis. I just don't feel it. And I sure don't see Him. So maybe you're not willing this morning. But Jesus also comes to give us hope when we're wrong. We don't always need what we think we need. And we sure don't need All the things we think we want. Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, that's a rock solid, close the book, no questions asked statement. There are some conditions for me believing. I got to see it, I got to touch it, I got to put my hand in his side. Nothing else will do. Turns out Thomas was wrong. And Jesus showed up to give him hope when he was wrong. Jesus showed up eight days later and said, Okay, do what you need to do. Here you go. Here I am. But Thomas, all he did, he saw Jesus and he replied, My Lord and my God. There's no report of him touching those scars. There's no report of him putting his hand in that side. He saw and he believed and he made the good confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God without making that confession. My Lord and my God. Hands off. I don't need to touch nothing. I see and I believe. So many times... We think we need our situation or our circumstances to change in order to have hope. But it's not the case, y'all. Here's the good news of the resurrection. Here's the good news of what we're looking at here today. Here's the good news of what we left hopeless Friday night when we extinguished that last candle. Here's the good news. You can have hope in the midst of your circumstances by placing your faith in Jesus without having to see Him. You can have hope in the midst of your situation without having to wait for better circumstances which may never come. Well, God, if you would just get me through this if you would just carry me through this darkness. God, if you would just get me to the other side of this thing. God, if you'll just heal me this time. But Jesus shows up unseen and He says, I'll give you hope in the midst of the worst diagnosis you could receive. And you're wrong to want different circumstances. Not bad. He's not mad at you. But you don't need different circumstances. You just need to know that you're blessed if you believe in the midst of those circumstances. If you're waiting for better circumstances, they may never come. We were having a sunrise service this morning. Did we get to see the sunrise? No. Is it a little too cold out there? And it was real cloudy. We probably wouldn't have seen the sun come up. Did the sun come up? Absolutely. If it didn't, we're in bad shape, okay? This whole th- thing don't went cockeyed. We're spinning the wrong way or something. So where's your faith? What if you came in and sat down and said, we're not going outside. We're not going to see the sun. Oh, no. What if it don't come up? Because I can't see it. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever wondered if the sun was coming up? If you didn't see it? Have you ever wondered if the sun was still in the sky when the rain clouds were covering it? It's always there. It's always there. The sun is always there, whether we can see it or not. And hear me, hear me, hear me. Whether we can see Jesus or not, and we can't. Whether we can see His hand in our situation or not, and sometimes we can't. And whether we can know exactly what He's doing or not is not the issue. I guarantee you, you're not going to understand everything God does in your life. I promise you, you will go through troubles and trials that you will ask to pass that will not pass. And I guarantee you that Jesus is with you in the midst of them. And if all you want are better circumstances, Jesus comes to give you hope in the middle of being wrong. Just like He did for Thomas. We may believe He is distant or uninterested in what's going on with us, but He is not disinterested. He is in the midst of it all, in the midst of the happy, the sad, the mad, the scared, the frustrated, the full, the hungry, the thirsty, or whatever we may be feeling, he is in the midst of it all, working to draw us to him and reveal himself to us in ways that we cannot comprehend. Oh yeah, I, there's there's a lot of circumstances I wish were different, but they're not. And does that mean that I don't pray that they would change? No, I pray and I ask and I keep asking and I keep knocking and I keep seeking. Three times Jesus prayed in the garden, let this change, let's not do it this way if it's possible. Yet not my will but yours be done. And it is that image that God is crafting us into the image of. I want what I want, but I want what you want even more. Nothing wrong with that prayer. But God may not change your situation. And you may be wrong to think that He should. And He comes to give you hope in the midst of that. Jesus comes to give us hope when we're willing. Jesus comes to give us hope when we're wrong. And finally, Jesus comes to give us hope when we are God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, with the lowly and meek of heart He will dwell. Here's the good good news of the good news, I think. (laughs) We don't need to look brave for Jesus to show up for us. Matter of fact, I'd say it's kind of harder for Him to show up when we're looking all brave and strong. Jesus shows up to give us hope when we are weak. Thomas was weak. Thomas hadn't shared the experience of the other disciples. He hadn't shared the experience of Mary. He hadn't heard Jesus call His name. He hadn't seen Jesus in a locked room. And Jesus came to him. And let me tell you what, Jesus didn't just show up and say, hey guys, it's me, just, just so you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be gone again. No, he, walked, he came, well, I don't know if he came, materialized, somebody beamed him up. I don't know how that worked. But he shows up in the middle of this room and he looks in at Thomas's heart and he zeroes in on him and he knows that he's weak. He says, touch him. Put your hand in the side. Because I know you need to do that, Thomas. But not just Thomas. These other disciples who had already seen Jesus show up in a locked room, they're still in a locked room eight days later. They're weak. They're scared. They'd already seen Him once. Anybody ever experienced a grand deliverance of God and then forgot it the next time you needed it? Good news. He shows up again. Lock the door again. He'll show up again. Because here's the deal, y'all. He knows we're weak. Scripture says He knows our frame that we are but dust. He drew up the blueprints that way. What has to happen is we have to understand that we are weak. That we can't manufacture faith in the midst of the greatest trial. We can't believe that everything's good when everything looks bad around us we have to be honest and say, God, I am in a mess. And I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't feel that emotional jolt this resurrection morning. I didn't feel that deep emotional stirring Friday night during the Tenebrae service. I wasn't enraptured while I was up there playing guitar, singing. It's Pretty self-conscious actually. And he knows it. And he says, good! Because when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul would say, I would rather than much more gladly boast about my weakness so that the power of God can be perfected in me. What if Thomas would have said, I, I never said that, Jesus. No, no, I always believed. No, I, you know, these guys, I just messed with them, you know. I didn't want them to feel too, too good for, you know, or feel bad for me not saying, you know, I, I believed. What if he said that? Jesus would have said, well, you're lying. Because he sees into our hearts. And he knows our truest feelings, our deepest longings. And he knows that we are weak. And he shows up in our weakness to give us And He still does it today. Whether it's through the Word, through the church, through the providence of everyday life, He shows up in the most unexpected places and sometimes we don't even recognize Him. So this is what I encourage you with this morning. Whether you're willing, whether you're wrong, or whether you're weak, watch out. Because you never know where Jesus is going to show up. He's alive. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And He can do whatever He wants to do. And you know what? He's going to do whatever He wants to do. Our job is to watch out. This risen Savior is everywhere. And this is what He said while He was on the earth. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Willing, wrong or weak, come to Him. The invitation is wide open. Actually, I'd say it's not as much an invitation as it is a command. To believe the gospel. To trust in Christ. To make the good confession that Thomas made. Because the command to him is the command to us. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We don't have scars we can touch or a side we can put our hands in, but we have the very sure Word of God given to us, delivered over to us, preserved for us through thousands of years so that we can know this God and so that we can see Him embodied in the person of Christ whose body was broken for us, whose blood was poured out for us, so that we can trust in Him for our eternal salvation. The command is still true today for you and for me. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Resurrection Sunday puts the ball squarely in your court now. You say, but I don't feel very hopeful. Oh, good. Because that's when Jesus shows up, y'all. Willing, wrong, or weak this morning, Jesus shows up and says, Don't disbelieve, but believe. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Obey Him. Call Him Lord and God. Know that He did come to earth, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. You're like, Oh, you're saying that again? Yes! Yes! I'm saying that again. He lived a perfect life. He died the death on the cross that I deserved. He bore the penalty for my sins as He hung there. The wrath of God poured out on Him. Better yet, the wrath of God poured out on my sins in Him. And He died. And He carried those sins to the grave. And His body laid there till Sunday. And the stone rolled away. Where Jesus was when that stone rolled away. I think He was already out, by the way. when a stone going to keep Jesus in the grave. We already saw He comes and goes as He pleases in this resurrected body. And they came and they saw that the tomb was empty. Then He injected Himself himself into their situations directly and said, Don't disbelieve, but believe. Believe that I'm resurrected. Believe that I'm eternally resurrected. Lord and God. Then He ascended into heaven and He is seated at the right hand of the Father where He ever lives to make intercession for His people. One day He's coming back. There will be no crucifixion when He comes again. He will judge His enemies. The wrath of God will be poured out upon the people who disobeyed this gospel. And so now God stands and He makes His plea through us saying be reconciled to God. And the only way to be reconciled to God is through the life, the death, the burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Jesus said plainly, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And the command to every person sitting in this building this morning, the good news of the gospel is that you can believe that. And in believing, you receive as a gift eternal life. What will you do in your hopeless, hapless situation? Jesus commands you this morning, don't disbelieve, but believe. If you're willing, wrong, or weak, He shows up and says, I am hope. Trust in me. Let's pray. God, do your work. Have your way in this place and in these people. Save souls. Give hope, Jesus. Holy Spirit, breathe hope into the lives of the hopeless, the despondent, the shameful, the guilty, the angry, the scared, the sick. Breathe hope on us all. And may we carry this hope out into this lost and dark world. And may we proclaim the command of the Christ to believe and not to disbelieve. We trust you to do what only you can do, God. And ask that you do it for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive a benediction this Resurrection Sunday. One verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great Resurrection Sunday.